Welcome to Backroom Talk. So guys, welcome uh, to another episode of Backroom Talk, and today we're gonna we're gonna talk about energy systems training. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you this question before yeah. you ask me the question in a very simple way. Break down the three energy systems. We, we love sustain work here, and and but the, but there's a reason, right? It's like you know having a very robust um, aerobic system just increases everything galactic podcasting that's uh (laughs) sounds like a really intense experience (laughs) to listen to more backroom talk be sure to subscribe learn to design personalized programs with the opex system of coaching by heading to opexfit.com So guys, welcome uh, to another episode of Backroom Talk, and today we're gonna we're gonna talk about energy systems training. Yeah, definitely. I think um, I think it's I think it's beneficial to hit on some things that we that we know about energy systems training, and you know, there's a there's a lot of you know, including us, of course, but there's a lot of groups that that teach it really well, right? And there's a lot of there's a lot of principles inside of energy systems training, and there's a lot of empirical data inside of energy systems training and there's 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 groups out there right now that are trying to turn that empirical data into principles and that's always so tough right it's like it's it's tough to add something new that's that's real concrete black and white and scientific in this thing but there's there's a lot of science you know relative to energy systems training and and what the energy systems are and what they do and what they don't do but there's also a lot of a lot of gray areas so i think what we're set setting out to do today is to just have a conversation around those and, and talk about what we know about energy systems training, what we don't know, what we believe, and um, kind of take it from there. And I think this kind of stems from, you know, our experiments on Sundays and us doing, you know, the train with OPEC stuff. And, you know, we're, we're experimenting with a lot of different types of, we're calling it aerobic work. And um, there's some pieces in there that, that aren't aerobic, right? So, you know, if we were to look at the principles of energy systems training and, and we were to say on Sundays we're doing aerobic work, we would be lying because they are mostly aerobic, but there's also other energy systems at play there. Um, and I just think that's 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 always an interesting thing to, to have a conversation about. Definitely. And like you said, as well as talking about some of the things we do know and we do teach inside of CCP, uh, reflecting on some of the gray area and the things that we don't. Uh, and, you know, you guys as coaches or fitness doers, I'm sure you've been in the gym before and you've tried things out and, you know, you've kind of realized and reflected yourself that uh, – this there, there's some crossover that's happening you know this doesn't feel like purely sustainable even if you set out for it to be um you know maybe uh putting putting weightlifting into an aerobic setting the different things you start to experience there and the different sensations and the different doses you get from that so just kind of reflect on like what's happening uh, in those moments where we're mixing things up so carl i think i'm gonna go- i'm gonna ask you this question before yeah. you ask me the question in a very simple way break down the three energy systems Ooh. like in a like try to make it as simple and as succinct as possible just in case there's someone watching or listening to this that has never even heard about energy systems training so in simple language which i'm not always the best at doing uh what are the three energy systems yeah putting me uh putting me on the spot carl uh mr instructor i expect <laughs> you to take these things <laughs> i love to throw it to you but no um to break it down simply and to use language that we would hear outside of OPEX and then, you know, kind of talk about how we explain these things in OPEX. Uh, our body's three main energy systems 
First up, we have like the ATP-CP system. So we will call that OPEX gain. And that's like our body's quickest and fastest source of energy. So something like super fast, think like a one RM back squat, 10 second sprint. Uh, that would be, uh, you know, our alactic anaerobic system there. So that, yeah, perfect. Like you've nailed that. George actually said that better than I could. Um, so, yeah, I think, so as we walk through these, let's kind of talk about them for a second. Um, and then, you know, and then we'll, we'll hit the grays, the grays yeah. after that, if you're, if you're cool with that. Absolutely. So, so OPEX gain, um, the anaerob anaerobic alactic system, um, the science actually tells us that it's three to six seconds, right? Like we, we go with zero to 10 seconds. Obviously you can't do anything for zero seconds and get any kind of effect out of it, but you get what we're saying there. So the science actually says that it's three to six seconds. And the reason why it's three to six seconds is because it's a, let's just call it a very, very tough or a very, very fast contraction happening. So you're, you're generating phosphagen, right? So phosphagen comes and it leaves just as fast as it comes. So even when you start to push for five, six seconds, you're not actually biasing the alactic system as much as you were with one, two, three seconds, if that makes sense. So um, we start to see that energy system blending from the alactic system after just a couple seconds. So we're going from anaerobic alactic to anaerobic lactic in a couple seconds. And you, you guys can feel it, right? Like, you know, I think we, we, we were messing around with, uh, you know, hitting a lactic uh, sprints on the, on the bike last week. Um, you can feel it when you start to get to six, seven, eight seconds. Like, it starts to become tough, unsustainable, right? That's not our a lactic system at play. Our a lactic system is, is that and then it's gone, right? So when we look at the the research with creatine, for instance, right? Like the, the research tells us that we can maybe do six, six reps instead of five reps because that, that ATP system peaks for a split second longer. It tells us that we could run at top speed for six seconds instead of five seconds, right? Like it's, it's so minute, which at high levels of competition or high levels of performance, the, the point one, one, one percent is, is super important. So, so we get it right. Like there's benefits to increasing that system. So George said it perfectly, right? It's like the, the anaerobic alactic system, it hits, it produces a lot of power and then it's gone. Right. So as we talk through all of these energy systems, something that's, that's important to realize is the more powerful something is the, the less likely we are to hold it for any amount of time right? Because we're not developed as human beings to put out really high power for any amount of time. High power is just like to do this quick movement to jump away from this thing to, you know, start accelerating away from the, it's not to sustain for a longer period of time. So, um, yeah, that's the, the alactic system. Anything to add to that? No, just while we're there though, um, I'd ask the words anaerobic and alactic, what do those mean? Yeah. So just look at, look at, um, let's just simplify it even more. Right. So, well, let, let me answer that question first. So a lactic is just, it's without lactate, right. Which is when we start getting into the gray, we'll talk about why that's not actually the case. Right. But the reason why it's called a lactic is because the system in which phosphagen is created and pushed 
is not creating lactate. So let's, let's look at that a lactic system as being right here, but the body is a very complex thing and it's always using all energy systems. Lactate is being produced over here, right? So yes, this system is happening without lactate, but indirectly lactate is being pushed in the system. So that's important because you'll get someone that says, you know, um, a lactic work is actually not real. And you're like, what do you mean? And they'll say, well, if you were to, you know, uh, take blood, you would actually find lactate in the system. So you're not actually performing a lactic work. And it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I can, I'm sitting here and talking, right. And like, let's say that, you know, I take five less respirations a minute because I'm talking a lot. You're going to prick me and I'm going to have lactate in my, in my system, but that's not because I'm performing lactic work. It's just, we always have it in our system. So a lactic just means without, without lactate. Lactic podcasting. That's uh, <laughs> sounds like a really intense experience. <laughs> we, just right. get, we get fired up. Yeah, we do. Yeah, we, we get do. fired up. Exciting topics like energy system training. Mm-hmm. Uh, moving on. We are going. Sorry, anaerobic. Yes. You said what is anaer- anaerobic means yes. without oxygen. So same idea though, right? So anaerobic work means that you're, you're performing it without oxygen. Um, same idea. Oxygen is still present. I'm breathing. Everything is moving. My diaphragm is moving up and down. Like I'm, I'm, there's still oxygen present in my body, but me doing that work, it's not utilizing oxygen directly as its primary, primary, primary source of, of let's call it fuel. Let's call it energy. Let's call it whatever we want to call it, but it's not using oxygen as, as the primary tool. Yeah. And again, we'll get back to this when we get into the gray area, but I do just think it's important to hit on what those words actually mean uh, when we talk about what we're calling these energy systems. And like, again, just because we call it a lactic anaerobic training doesn't mean that there's no lactate and there's no oxygen that's in, in one's body at that time. So just, just recognizing again, the gray area in that. So next uh, up we have anaerobic lactic. Lactic. What is that? Opex, Opex pain uh, is what we would call it around uh, this part of town. And so we're taking that 10 second of work and we're extending it out now. Right. So think uh, let's go 60 second sprint on the bike. Uh, If you've ever done that, you know it feels really damn painful. <laughs> not not a great experience. Um, I mean, it depends what you're into, right? So so just to clarify, so we um, here we call anaerobic a lactic power that zero to ten seconds, and then we call anaerobic a lactic endurance, extending from ten to about twenty seconds. So now the primary source of of energy is coming from lactate after the 20 seconds and then what georgia said like extending that out to like 60 seconds 120 seconds we three minutes it's it's very very tough right so um let me stop because i interrupted georgia just wanted to conf- just wanted to say that we we do extend a lactic work up to 20 seconds sorry continue all good uh and again fact check me on this and make sure i explain it in, in a clear uh way but the body no longer has that ATP CP to use for quick energy. So now uh, it's going to go and, and look for like glycogen, look for glucose. So uh, we use glycolysis and then lactate is produced as a byproduct of that happening. Yeah. Correct? Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, perfect. So just look at, look at, there, there's a lot of confusion with glucose and glycogen, right? So let's look at what's present in the blood, right? So 
when we when we st- let's say I I eat um I eat jasmine rice, right? I eat jasmine rice, right? Like my glycogen stores are are now full or fuller than they were prior to me eating that. Then I store it as glucose, and then I use glycogen to fuel that as the primary source of energy to fuel glycolytic work. So glycogen and glucose, they're just used interchangeably. And I don't think it really matters. You don't have to understand the process to understand that, you know, that equals this. Um, But I think people get it backwards sometimes and people kind of, they say it the wrong way, which I don't think really matters. Just say, yeah, you you use glycogen slash glucose to fuel this thing. So yes, that process that you that you explained is is dead on. All right. So uh, anything anything you'd add to uh, to that right there for our good old OPEX pain? No, I think um, yeah. If we look at, I think it's important to to just keep going back to what does research tell us? What does research tell us? Because our principles are based on what research tells us, and when we start to see events, right? Because a lot of research is is based off of you know, athletes and performance and we know that whole deal, right? So when we look at, when we start to, when we go from ATP to utilizing lactate and then to utilizing O2 as the primary source of energy, when we start to get out of that 100, 200 meter sprint area, that's when we start to see that change happen, right? So zero to 100 meters we're starting let's it's atp right like you're just going right now it's like we get to that 200 meter into the 400 ish meter that is super glycolytic that's lactate happening right so they're extending that out then we hit like 500 600 meter and people can extend that 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 uh that energy source out pretty long right like if you train it properly but it's when we start to get to that one mile mark where it just becomes sustained work, right? So it becomes aerobic. And I don't care how powerful you are, when you start to get to that point of 1,600 meters is where it the flip just happens, right? The, the switch happens, and now that is aerobic. And I don't want to get into that yet because you still have to tell us what aerobic work is. But yeah, that's that's when that 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 switch is flipped. But what's so so important to understand is that there's a blending of these three energy systems from start to finish, and then there's a blending when you're recovering and when you start again. And we'll talk about that in the in the gray area. But yeah, I think you nailed the the uh, OPEX pain. All right, and uh, OPEX sustain or the aerobic energy system would be our third energy system uh, that we consider. And that's where we're using oxygen as, as a primary fuel source. Uh, whether we are going on a long, slow walk or we're sitting here and having a conversation um, that isn't lactic, hopefully, <laughs> <laughs> or we're doing a 10-minute uh, mixed pace in the gym, that would be where we're doing uh, aerobic work or, or sustain work. Yeah, gosh, we love sustain work here. and and but the, But there's a reason, right? It's like, you know, having a very robust um, aerobic system just increases everything across the board. Um, you know, if we were to hit a really tough bench press and let's say we're doing like cluster sets and we're doing like one, 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 and we're resting 10 seconds between each one, having a more robust aerobic system allows us to recover faster between, between those bouts. So when we look at, you know, the ATPCP system, 
that's actually that actually recovers faster with a much more robust aerobic system. Um, we didn't really mention this at the beginning, but ATP is is also a very very important thing to understand, right? Like that's like the powerhouse. That's how we that's how we produce energy as human beings. So every every all three of the energy systems they all do their thing to produce more ATP. That's it. Right, so we can say the ATP CP system, we can say the ATP lactate system, we could say the ATP aerobic system. It's all the same thing because that's how we produce energy as humans, is we produce more ATP. But I say that because having a more robust aerobic system makes the process of producing ATP that much quicker and that much more efficient. So the aerobic system is just so, so important because it not only not only relative to performance and, you know, having a robust, robust aerobic system and being able to lift that one, 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 or having a, a robust aerobic system and doing lactic work and being able to recover and do that lactic work again, or having a robust, robust aerobic system. So you can go out and run a marathon. The aerobic system is like, that's like it. That should be the baseline of all energy systems is because that allows us to be more efficient and more effective across the board with everything. And then when we get into just like normal day-to-day life, it's like having a robust aerobic system has so many benefits to it, right? That have nothing to do with performance. Um, having a robust robust aerobic system makes us live longer, right? When we start looking at cardiovascular health, um, that it increases that. When we start to look at just happiness, right? Having a more robust aerobic system uh, means that you have more mitochondria. Having more mitochondria means that you're a more healthy and robust individual slash human being. So that's why we push, do more aerobic work, do more aerobic work. We don't care who you are, what your goals are. Um, increasing that system is always beneficial until you get to the point where you're increasing it for performance gains and you're trying to get that extra 1%. And whenever you're trying to do that in anything, it starts to become unhealthy. Um, look at an Ironman, like a competitive, high-level Ironman athlete, right? Those are some of the most old, old. They're, those are the oldest-looking people that you could ever find, right? Because they just have pushed the limits in aerobic work so hard that they look frail, they look old, they look unhealthy, they look tired, right? Look at uh, you know, cyclists, very, very high level cyclists. And we were talking about the other day, like those are some of the most impressive athletes that you could ever, that you could ever meet. Right. I told Georgia a quick story. Um, there was a a friend of mine who is a, an outstanding cyclist. I went on one ride with him and I felt like the most out of shape person. And like, I thought I was pretty fit and that, that, like he crushed me. Right. But he looks, he's my age and he looks like he's 50. Right. So, um, yeah, I mean, once you start pushing performance, there's always a downside to it. What is that like, especially with aerobic sports and you know competing in something like uh, an Ironman or triathletes or long distance cycling? Uh, is it just like volume accumulated and like really pushing threshold where you know pacing becomes unsustainable sometimes, or what what makes it unhealthy? Yeah, I mean, when we look at when we look at training, the let's compare it to training the lactate system. Um, because we, we talk about it all the time, right? It's like, you don't want to be lying on the ground and, uh, not being able to recover from your work. And you know what I mean? Like being cognitively not there all day, every day, because you're doing all that lactic work. You can actually have those same, those same things happen with aerobic work. 
And one of the reasons is, is because you can dig so deep into the aerobic system, right? Imagine if every single day, Georgia, you came in and you did uh, 30 30s and you did 120 30 30s every day and you did them at like just about threshold. You could actually do it, right? Like because there's nothing holding you back from that. So let's say just below threshold for you for 30 30 on an assault on an assault bike is holding 68 rpm for 30 seconds and you just do that for two hours with a little rest after hour one you could you're capable of doing that right now right if you were if i were to ask you to do that with lactic work and i would and i said okay let's go 20 seconds on three minutes off and let's do that for two hours you wouldn't be capable of putting out the same output so you, you know what i'm getting at there like aerobic work we can dig so deep for so long that it can hurt us really bad um, because it's sustainable, right? So you can sustain it for such a long period of time as long as your body is fueled appropriately. So you could do that 60 minutes of 30 30s and you could take a 15 minute break. You can, you know, put some more sugars in your system, stretch it out, make sure your butt's feeling good because you've been sitting on the assault bike for an hour and get back on and do it again and sustain the same power output, right? At that 68 RPM. Um, so aerobic work is very good, but it's, it's dangerous, right? Because you can do a lot of it and you can dig yourself a huge hole, uh, doing aerobic work. That's like, uh, you know, even like a recreational runner, right? Like they can go out and run five, 10, 15 miles every single day, right? Like I, I know we all know that person where they're like, yeah, I wake up every morning and well, we probably don't all know that person, but I've known a few people where like, I wake up every morning and I run five miles and it's like, why (laughs) right and there's nothing wrong with that but you know there's nothing wrong with it until like some some negatives start to come out of it they're like uh well you know i've plantar fasciitis and my hip i have this hip thing um i'm always tired i have this you know what i'm saying so we can just dig so deep into that system that it can become detrimental and that we're not able to recover from it yeah it's it's not even it's not necessarily a recoverability thing it is but it's not right because it's because when I think of we can't recover from it, I think we can't come out and perform it again the next day. The problem is that they can come out and perform it the next day. They feel worse. Maybe their RPE is higher because they're tired, but they're able to still perform it because it's not done at this very high level. It's not like a vertical jump, right? Um, you know, if, if we're tired and, and you have a, I'm going to give you some credit. Georgia has a 36 inch vertical jump and she comes in like super tired and she comes in super fatigued, that vertical jump might now be 32 inches. Or if we were to do a a max wattage on the assault bike test, right? And we did that to like gauge recoverability and you hit, you know, 1300 watts and that's like your top end. And we have you do that every single day. And then the days, day on days that you're tired, you hit 1100 and we're like, okay, she's clearly not tired. She can't recover from it. But going back to the 30, 30 idea, because we're so under our max capacity, because it is truly aerobic work, you can almost fake it, right? You could still get to that 68 RPM. Your RPE is just higher, right? Or your rate of perceived exertion is just higher, but you can will your way through it and make it repeatable across those two hours. So yes, they're, they're unable to recover effectively from it, but you can hide from not being able to recover in aerobic work because your scores can still tell you like you're able to do it. You're able to repeat it. Yeah. I mean, I just reflect back on uh, the difference between 
testing something like a one RM back squat and then the ability and just how, you know, you're tired, you're having a crappy day, you didn't sleep the the other night, like how vastly those different, you know, scores will be. And then uh, you have something like a 12 minute like AMRAP and you can like hide in that and you can extend feeling shitty in that out for weeks and months at a time and, and not even realize. But uh, you go for a one RM and you're going to be able to tell. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, aerobic work is, is awesome, but it could also be dangerous because it doesn't give as immediate of a feedback loop as, you know, like you said, doing that one RM back squat or something like that can give you because you're just like, I can't do this. But in aerobic work, you're like, I can do it. I just don't feel good. But then you like tell yourself this story of like, well, let me just do a couple more sets and I'll kind of get into the groove or like, you know, you do connect the dots where it's like, oh, I probably just had a little bit of uh uh, I had a bad night's sleep last night, so that's why I feel this way, but I don't want to regress, so I'm going to still kind of push the envelope a little bit. Um, but yeah, aerobic work is, I, we don't, I don't want to scare you away from aerobic work. It's awesome, right? But I just I just want to make it clear that um, we we can hide in, uh, in, in abilities inside of aerobic work. So not to get too deep down the rabbit hole of, of the aerobic energy system, because I want to get back to talking about the gray in between them all. But uh, you hear this term aerobic capacity thrown around uh, quite often. What what does that mean? And how does someone improve their aerobic capacity? And I think that means something different to a bunch of different people, right? So um, the the most classic way of, of gauging aerobic capacity is, is VO2 max. Um, you know, and, and that's, that's kind of taking, that's taking away, you know, uh, I do this for, for my sport, or I do this for performance, like, hey, we're all going to do this one test, and I'm going to test your VO2 max. And then you have step test methods and all of that. They're all good. And they're all bad at the same time, right? Like the, the problem is, is that, and I, I shouldn't say the problem, because I don't really see it as a problem. But the, the problem can be that we're all trying to put someone and we're all trying to put every single person in like this one bucket of like you're really aerobic or you're not right like people are aerobic in different environments people are in or people are aerobic based on what they're doing for that test like you can take a you know a, a someone that's very familiar familiar with a rower and put them through a vo2 max test on the rower and you can take another person that's very familiar on a biker because they're a cyclist and you would say that based on, you know, performing these two tests, uh, absolute score wise, the rower is more, is more, uh, has a larger aerobic capacity when they're both on the rower. Then you take them both to the, to the bike and you're like, oh, well, this step test that we just did on this bike tells us that the cyclist has a bigger aerobic capacity. It's like, it's just not that simple. There's so many other variables, right? It's like, you know, the cyclist probably has more you know, uh, a more robust ability to, to push through quad muscle endurance limitations, you know, where the, the rower has a more robust ability to push through, uh, the bend pull pattern, uh, muscle endurance, um, uh, pieces. So, yeah, I mean, you could test it a bunch of different ways, but I think it's important to understand, uh, cause if we're testing aerobic capacity, we want to test performance. It's important to test performance when that's important to something that's relative to the thing that the person is performing in. So, yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a bunch of different methods to test aerobic capacity, but once you change one variable that, that, that the result changes. 
Absolutely. And I think that, again, kind of highlights some of the gray area that exists in energy systems training and energy systems testing uh, in that how we go about assessing and testing those things needs to be relevant to that person's function, that person's sport, how you assess energy systems for someone competing in mixed modal or competing in CrossFit. Like that's going to look different to how you would assess it for that competitive cyclist. And uh, just important to remember the importance why you know assessment needs to be personalized yeah the 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 funny thing is is i got introduced to energy systems training and let's just call it conditioning uh through through the sport of football right so um something that we always saw in, in that sport was we had like weight room warriors that were really really fit right but when it came to playing the game they weren't conditioned so when we start to look at VO2 maxes and step testing and all of that, and we're trying to, we're trying to relate that to a sport, like we, we wouldn't do this and typically we wouldn't do this. Right. But we're trying to relate it to a sport like football. It's like, it doesn't actually make sense. Cause you could be the fittest person in the gym or in a very controlled environment. And then you put like a bunch of pads on you, you know, put a bunch of lights and you put 50,000 people watching and cheering and now they're not conditioned for that particular environment. So that would be the difference of like weight room conditioning slash or weight room fitness versus actual sport conditioning. There's so many factors of energy systems training and capacity outside of just moving your body and producing energy, right? It's also how do we expend energy? Right? If it's 100 degrees outside, I'm going to expend more energy if I'm not used to training in a controlled environment in 100 degrees. If there's additional psychological stressors in my head, I'm going to expend more energy when I'm stressed out relative to my controlled training environment. So we have to understand that fitness and conditioning are just two different things. Um, and there's been a lot of people that have gone down a rabbit hole of what is the difference between fitness and conditioning, but that's important to understand because just because I can do this thing in the gym, you know, really, really well, um, it doesn't always mean that it translates to the, 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 the field or the mat or wherever I, I want to actually utilize my fitness. So I tell that story just because I, I played with so many of those guys that were just so strong and so fit in the weight room. And then when it came to, you know, getting on the field, they weren't conditioned, right? It's like, why are you out of breath? We just ran four plays. I've seen you do these immaculate things in the weight room or, you know, on that biker or on the treadmill or whatever it was. And then when it comes to like actually playing the sport, you're trash. Like you can't even, you can't even catch your breath. And it's like they may have just been deconditioned to the environment, right? So um, it's just so tricky. There's so many variables outside of just being fit. Yeah, and like ultimately it does really come down to figuring out where your priorities lie. Uh, I'll reflect on myself and my own training a little bit because my sport's jujitsu and uh, there is definitely like a limit to what you can do in the gym and the carryover that has to the mat. And it really does just come down to more time spent on the mat and training in, you know, sports specific scenarios where you're trying different drills and, um, like working with people in that environment. And there's no amount of aerobic work uh, that's actually gonna like <laughs> help you prepare for that. It doesn't matter who you are. There is nothing in the gym that can prepare you for the stress of like fighting with another human being and the unknowns that exist in that scenario. But on the other hand, 
I freaking love doing mixed modal conditioning work. Like I have so much fun with it. So that's still going to feature in my training, but I do recognize that it's not necessarily helping me in that environment. And I may be better at my sport if I took two days out of the gym and I actually just spent them on the mat. So there's a trade-off. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, you know, like we said, when we walk through the energy systems, having a more robust aerobic system will only help you inside of your sport specific training to a degree, right? Um, the, 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 the equation that a lot of strength and conditioning coaches are trying to solve is what is that degree? When are we strong enough? When are we conditioned enough to now just more solely focus on this thing? And that's why we have seasons and off seasons. That's what those things are for. It's like, okay, the off season, I'm going to bump up, you know, my out of competition fitness and, and conditioning. And then when I get a little bit closer to the season, now I'm going to kind of ramp that down and I don't need to be in the gym six times a week anymore. I need to be on the mat or I need to be in the, on the field or whatever the case is. But it's, it's when, it's when we fill our buckets with both of those things and the season's coming or like competition is coming and we're like, I'm just going to add and I'm going to add, I'm going to add. And then it just takes away from both of them. So it's always like finding that fine balance of, you know, I'm going to sprinkle in this much, you know, uh, you know, off the mat conditioning versus this, this much sport specific conditioning and drilling and stuff like that. So it's always about trying to find what the perfect blend is for each individual because each person is different. Do you have any advice for coaches that are trying to navigate that with a client who is training for sport, um, maybe in like how they communicate with that client, the type of questions they ask them about, you know, how their sport training is going, especially if they're not with them on the field, on the mat, whatever it might be. Yeah, I think, I think it's important for coaches to understand, uh, like if you're coaching, if you're someone's strength and conditioning coach and they're a sport athlete, you have to really, really understand the sport and the demands of that sport. And you, you also have to understand your client's capabilities inside of that sport, outside of the gym, right? So um, what one thing we wouldn't want to do is keep pushing the gym side and keep pushing strength and conditioning in the gym while our clients can't perform on the field, on the mat, whatever their, their realm is, right? So there has to be a connection as a strength conditioning coach to what's actually happening there on the field. So if we look at this at, at the highest levels, right? So, you know, we look at like a division one strength conditioning program, right? Like the strength coach works directly with the head coach, works directly with positions, co position coaching, uh, position coaches, right? So there's this feedback loop of, you know, this athlete is struggling here, 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 strength conditioning coach processes that they're like how can i help how can i help that maybe i can't get this receiver to run better routes but what can i do in the gym or in conditioning to set them up to be able to run better routes do i need to give them more single leg work are they not powerful out of their cuts is their agility trash um, if their agility is trash do i need to do less hypertrophy with them do i need to take some muscle mass off of them because they're not able to move that that, uh, that body weight around how their position coach wants them to move it around. So, um, they just need to know what's going on on the field or on the mat or whatever that, that athlete, uh, competes in. Yeah. I think some, some really good reflections there, uh, on applying energy systems training to athletes. I want to take a step back and I want to talk now, um, a little bit more about some of that gray area between the three energy systems. And let's start, uh, with the, a lactic anaerobic system and uh 
what we kind of see happening, because like you mentioned it, three to six seconds, right? What happens when you start to extend out beyond that? And why do we still talk about doing uh, that OPEX gain work in that 10 to 20 second realm? Yeah, power just drops, right? So, you know, that's why we love to just look back at the power time curve and what's happening over time. Um, You just measure it, right? Like measure what power means relative to what you're doing. And that's why cyclical stuff is so good because it, it there's direct feedback on a screen in front of us. So, you know, if uh, let's say that you're really experienced, right, and, and you've been training for years and years and years, and you know all of your metrics like the back of your hand, you know, you know, when I jump on this assault bike, I should get to if I'm going at 97% effort, so I'm not like going there, but I'm, I'm almost going there. The screen always says 1700 watts. Just look at the screen, right? When the screen says 1400 watts, you've just experienced a substantial drop off. So what's happening? Power is dropping, but you're still moving. So power has dropped, but you're still moving. Connect the dots. Something's allowing you to still move. So you're transitioning into utilizing something else for energy. That's it, right? So, you know, when we look at that power time curve and it's like, you know, that ATP CP is like boop, boop. Right. And then the the anaerobic lactic is like and then it drops off. And then that that uh, aerobic is like this and then it just goes forever, essentially. Right. It's like, where am I at on that continuum? What is happening and what how does how does what I hit, you know, in the first 10 seconds going to affect what I'm able to sustain for the next five minutes? Because what's a prescription we would never give is. I want you to go at 100% for 20 seconds, and then I want you to fall off and survive for another five minutes. It's like, what are you doing now? You're, you're not actually training any energy system effectively, right? So that's why the power time curve, each thing lives on its own. You don't transition from this to this, right? Like you don't jump off that ATP CP curve and jump onto the sustain curve and finish it. It's like, you need to stop, recover, and if you want to do some sustain work, you need to rest a really long time to be able to recover and teach your body how to become sustainable. So, sorry, that was long. That was a long answer to what happens uh, after that three to six seconds. You just start, you, you stop producing as much power. So you either stop, rest a long time. And if you're training that ATP CP system, you stop, rest a long time and do it again. Um, or you shut down the, the, the training session. Because if you're just dropping power and leaking and like extending it out for longer periods of time, you're not training any energy system effectively. You're just training yourself to be to, to work while you're tired and fatigued. So why would we train like anaerobic alactic endurance, for example? To extend out to eventually lead into uh, training the lactic system. Right? So it's preparation for that. Yeah, yeah, preparation. So it's not like intra-session preparation. It's like I'm doing this for a period of time to set myself up to be able to do this in the future. Got it. Because imagine if you took someone that had no idea how to utilize, you know, um, utilize that ATP CP system and you were like, I want you to do 30 seconds of really, really hard work. They're not going to be able to produce any power, right? So the goal is to sustain as much – sustain is the wrong word because – that connects to aerobic work. The The goal is to hold as much power as you go from energy system to energy system. 
like, yes, I'm, I'm producing a lot less power in the sustain or the aerobic energy system relative to the ATP-CP system, but I still want to hold as much power as I can if my goal is to improve my aerobic capacity relative to performance. If I just want to be more aerobic, it's like, who gives a shit how much power you're holding? Just be aerobic. Who cares what your score is? Just be aerobic. Who cares what your exercise selection is? Just ensure that you're able to complete those exercises for X amount of reps and and repeat it and feel really good at the end of it. I'm going to pick at this a little bit more because we get a lot of questions around anaerobic alactic work and how we prescribe it. So it comes down to intentions, right? If you're using a eight second bike sprint to, you know, build, build power for someone and, and get them to improve the OPEX gain system. Use power, not build it. Use power. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. No, that's no, important though, because is. some people think I'm going to build power on a bike. It's like, no, you're going to use the power that you already have on Got that it. bike. If you don't have the power, get the hell off the bike and go lift weights. Yeah. Right. Um, so that's, that's an important thing yeah, as well. So someone has to have a prerequisite amount of strength to actually dump that power into yeah, the bike. Exactly. Cool. Yep. But that's going to be a different thing and a different training intention than, Hey, I have this client and I'm going to be putting them into a lactic power phase. We're going to be training the anaerobic lactic system in preparation from that, for that. I'm going to take him from that eight seconds and extend it out to 12, 15, 18, 20. Like those are two separate things. Uh, I, th- I think I understand what you're asking. So you're asking, um, you're asking the difference between progression and just doing. Yeah. Progression in, uh, a client who you're trying to teach him how to, uh, what was the word you use now? It was not build. It was use power. Use, use power. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just like using the power that yep. you've already developed. Yeah. Yep. A client who you're trying to teach him how to use power versus a client who you're trying to transition into a lactic build. Gotcha. I, I don't, I don't even see, I don't really see a difference between those. I wouldn't, I wouldn't put anyone, and this is now just me saying what I would do or what I wouldn't do, but maybe you guys care. Um, I wouldn't do a lactic work on a bike with someone that I don't intend on (laughs) extending that out and eventually doing lactic work with. Cause if I'm doing that work with them on the bike, that means that I think they have enough power to now express on the bike. And why would I put them on that if there's no progression that I have in mind? Unless we, we kind of do some like, you know, CNS preparation stuff. And it's like, okay, I want to, I want someone to do eight second sprints on the bike to wake up their central nervous system. Yes. Uh, there's no real, there's no real progressive mechanism there, but I wouldn't say let's do a lactic work just to express power. Yeah. Does that make sense? No, it absolutely does. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and again, I think that people, they run into this issue where they think that they're trying to build power mm-hmm. on that bike. And then yeah. they become like confused by this idea of like, why, and I'm talking for myself as well. Like, yeah. why am I extending that out? If I, all that's going to happen is I'm going to drop power as I go to 11, 12, 13 seconds. Yeah. Cause you're training, you're training, you're, you're getting ready to train the lactic system. Yeah. So um, something that, that we've had conversations with coaches on, uh, in the past is like, is it okay that, you know, I'm holding, uh, I'll just stick to Watts. Cause we talked about Watts. I'm holding 1600 Watts for eight, 10 seconds. And then when I get to 12, it's dropping off. And then when I get to 20 seconds, it's dropping off substantially. It's like, of course it's dropping off. <laughs> like you can't hold the same amount of wattage over 25 seconds that you could for eight. That's natural. 
what you're what you're training is the ability to still give off a good amount of power and the ability to recover from that and do it again and do it again and do it again. So um, scores don't actually matter when you train the lactic system. Who gives a shit how many watts you have? Score or how many watts you're producing? Scores matter when you're comparing it to what you did prior. But like my absolute score in my 20 second sprints, wattage, RPM, calories, doesn't actually matter compared to someone else's. As long as I'm digging in and I'm producing the the energy that I want to produce and I'm training, I'm getting ready to train that lactic system or if I'm training that lactic power system, that's all I care about. I just want to make sure that I'm training it properly. So how do we, how do we know that we're training the system properly? It's really freaking hard. You feel like you need a lot of time to recover. And when let's say it's 20 seconds on four minutes off, um, once I hit a point where four minutes, I still can't recover in those four minutes. I just need to stop. I've done the the requisite amount of volume that I can handle to train that system. And then I do it again next week. Right? So, um, we should be producing less power as we go down the, 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 the chain, let's call it in time. Right? So as time goes here, power drops unless it's like, you know, what we talked about the zero to eight, 10 for some people, 12, 15, they can hold a uh, maximum amount of power, but that's, that's really hard, especially if you're a powerful person. And if someone is extending it out to 20, 25 seconds, they're not strong enough. They're, yeah. Be. They're just not strong enough. Yeah. 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 That's a, that's a good point. So, um, yeah, I mean, I would just question why are you training it? Yeah. Why are you training it? And it's important to understand when you're training the lactic system, you're training your metabolism. You're not training anything else. And that's why it's so important to understand that scores don't matter. It's metabolic training. As long as you got that metabolic response, you know, you're producing that lactate. That lactate is a good thing. You're now learning how to utilize that lactate as fuel. It's in your blood. You feel it. It's hard. You're, you rest. You're able to repeat it and you shut that training session down, that's a win if the goal is to train the lactic system. You created a metabolic response inside of your body. Why would that be the goal, and who would have that goal? Uh, who would have what goal? To, to Of training the lactic system. Yeah, so if you're going to utilize it in the sport that you do, <laughs> that's it. And there's there's some metabolic benefits from it, but I think that's I think that that would be poor taste to say that people should do lactic work for the metabolic benefits, weight loss, so on and so forth, because you can get very similar metabolic benefits in aerobic work when you start to do really fast aerobic work. So that is true. Uh, so I'm not going to like not say that that's, that's, that's the case, but I think we're doing people a disservice that are trying to get healthier and lose weight. If we were to say, man, you know, doing HIIT training, there's some really good metabolic responses that we can get from it. Uh, that will down the chain eventually cause you to lose weight. So do this. Um, that's, I don't think that's good. <laughs> I know that's like a, a, you know, a low way of saying it, but I just don't think that's good. So there's metabolic responses. Uh, but outside of that, so I'm going to discount that it would be if you need to learn how to use lactate in your sport or in your, in whatever you perform in. So if you are that, you know, 400 meter sprinter, you need to be able to utilize lactate because if, when you hit 200 meters, and you're like, oh shit, ATP, CP system is gone. You need to do something to maintain power or in their case, speed. Got it. 
let's talk about going from lactic into aerobic and like what is happening there. Can you just let's throw out a question. Can you start a 10 minute pace and go at an unsustainable pace for two and a half minutes of it and then decide, actually, I want this to be aerobic work and, and have the rest <laughs> of it be developing your aerobic system. Like, does it work like that? Oh man. For some genetic freaks. Yeah. But, uh, principally no. Yeah. Yeah. Once you, once you spill over and you go to threshold, nothing is going to stop that outside of just stopping, you know, wrapping it up and coming in tomorrow. Um, and that's why we have concurrent training principles, right? And that's why we don't train that energy system, the pain energy system, before we train the sustain energy system. Because once you go there, there's no coming back for a lot of people. Um, that sounds really dramatic. For, that sounds really dramatic for like talking about a 10-minute uh, uh, workout. But yeah, for, unless, unless uh, you're an outlier, no. No, you're not coming back from that. And it's not going to make you more aerobic? Um doing something like doing that? something for two and a half minutes really really hard hitting threshold and then finishing it yeah uh no no yeah i mean we're <laughs> i hate saying yes and no in absolutes but uh, i think it's important for people to understand that no um could there be secondary or tertiary benefits of doing that metabolically of course there are right like there's there's benefits of of doing pain work or lactic work and how those can bump the aerobic system. But just because those things exist, don't mean that we have to try to use them, right? Like those are, again, uh, complex, complicated things that most people don't need. It's just like, if you want to improve one system, train that system. Yeah, no, I, um, I just think back to, uh, kind of early days, CrossFit level one, uh, learning about energy systems and that environment and thinking about this like new thing, this new concept of glycolytic training and like that eight minute wad that I was going to go do was that, right? You know, I didn't have a science background before that. All I knew was what I learned on that weekend. And so in my mind, that was like anaerobic training. But if we think about our energy systems and the, you know, what you uh, proposed earlier Carl which was that like past three minutes like you can't sustain anaerobic work past that like the aerobic system is going to be doing most of the work at that point uh, I don't really know what my question is but I think there's just like a lot of misinformation out there about the idea that high intensity work like that can be extended out that long yeah I mean you know if we were if we were to look at the gray areas inside of that um, are there benefits of struggling through work yeah i think there 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 are right if, if the goal is performance um and we look at the the idea on energy expenditure and all of the things around expending energy energy and it's not all about just capacity um someone that is really good at handling pain and just fighting through it might beat someone in a performance scenario in an eight minute piece like you proposed that is super aerobic and that just is too smart to push that threshold, right? So, um, gosh, I've seen, I've seen a lot of athletes that followed, uh, you know, what, what we would call like, uh, unnecessary programs or not smartly thought through programs. And those athletes crush right in performance, uh, scenarios. Um, so yeah, that's where that gray area is. It's like, yeah, you can be better because you're just better at struggling through that stuff. And for something like CrossFit, gosh, I think you just have to have that, right? But when we look at, you know, uh, again, and I know CrossFit's different because the sport is exercising, 
But when we look at off season versus in season, let's look at uh, that's that same person that go that just goes all out for those first two and a half minutes. What if they had an off season where they increased their aerobic capacity relative to what they're doing, and then they had a competition pre competition competition season where they just threw all those principles and all that shit out the window and they're like, I'm just going to go really hard. If they were to, if they were like, let's say they were twins, right? And they were like, their, their genetic makeups were very, very similar. And you had one on, on one hand that just went all out, nothing, like no rhyme or rhythm. And they did that for eight months and then they got to a pre-competitive phase. And then you had someone that approached it in a more smart way and they have they they increase their aerobic capacity doing so they both get to that pre-competition phase and they both decided we're going to hit eight minute pieces every day and we're just going to go all out the person over here that actually trained that system is going to be is, is going to come out on top after x amount of sessions days months um, this person might win day one day two but they're not able to recover from day one and day two and perform days three and days four. Um, so this person might win because they have a, a larger capacity to do work over a longer period of time, or they have a larger capacity to recover from really tough bouts of, of, of work. So at certain times, like throughout an athlete's season, is it wise to let go of, you know, these structured principles of energy systems training and just let them do their sport? You have to. Yeah. If that's their sport, right? Cause remember we talked about with, uh, you know, sports specificity, if, if the sport that I'm performing, we're talking about CrossFit here, right? So let's just, yeah, let's just say like, okay, a functional fitness athlete, if the sport doesn't care about energy systems principles and when the, the, the athlete goes and performs that sport, we can't care about energy systems principles, not in preparation, but in pre-competition competition phases, we have to throw everything out the window. It's like, is what we're doing or did what we did in that off season phase, did it prepare them better for this pre comp comp phase? If that answer is no, we have to go back and look at what we need to change in design and, and prescription there. If it did cool. Right. But I, I think that was a leading question because you knew the answer to that, but um, yeah, we can't care. We can't care about energy systems principles. If the sport doesn't care about energy systems principles during that very focused time i thought you were gonna leave it at that carl <laughs> george is like you can't say that <laughs> oh so gosh i feel like this was, this was a good chat about energy systems um i certainly learned a couple of things uh is there anything we didn't hit on i mean yeah, i'm sure there I, was stuff we didn't hit on but i don't think we're done yet Georgia. okay yeah okay. i want to talk about um yeah i want to talk about other other things that are really important to consider um when trying to make yourselves better at energy systems uh, training, if that's a thing, um, or trying to make your clients better at that stuff, right? Um, there's other variables. And something that we talk about a lot is what are you, what are you doing in that, in that aerobic scenario? We'll, we'll just use aerobics because I think it's um, – because now I want to bring in like other exercises. So there are, we do have principles around like how to perform mixed work in anaerobic settings. Um, but that's just less interesting. And uh, quite frankly, there's not a lot that you can really do there to effectively, gosh, now I feel like we have to talk about it. So you do <laughs> anaerobically, right? We have to, so let's think about um, uh, the goal inside of this exercise piece is to 
train the anaerobic lactic system because we can't train the anaerobic alactic system in a mixed scenario for obvious reasons. For the reasons we just talked about, we train that system either outside of energy systems training um, or outside of like the cyclical and the mixed stuff and all of that. We train that with like back squats, bench press, pull-ups, and then we can start using that in a cyclical modality um, on a bike. Um, for some people, they can pull enough power on a rower for an amount of time. Um, but when we get when we extend out to like that lactic training and the lactic piece, there's very few things or very few options that you can do in a mixed scenario to effectively train the lactic system. And that's because of turnover and power output. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So um, you know, <laughs> I, I kind of talk to our. I follow a lot of our CCP coaches on, on Instagram and I see like some of their stories and I'll give them, I just love like bantering back and forth with some of those guys and girls and I'll see them. Uh, like I saw someone the other day and such good intentions and, and they really appreciated the feedback, but they put OPEX pain and it was like, there was like wall balls and there was like double unders and there was muscle ups and it was just a really short workout. It was like a two or three minute workout. So they were just looking at uh, work rest time and not looking at the modalities that go inside of that. So send them a quick message and like explaining, hey, remember these principles when, when performing anaerobic work. And um, we get a lot of coaches that come in that don't connect right away to that, right? It's like, like Georgia said, turnover and power has to be high because we're training the metabolic system. Like it has to be this, it has to be really hard for rest to be really long. So exercise selection is like this, right? What are you not doing? You're not doing muscle ups because you're not turning them over fast enough to truly do anaerobic work in there. What are you not doing? You're not doing wall balls, right? Because there's three seconds of the movement where nothing is happening. You're waiting for a ball to come down and then you're doing a quick squat and then you're going back up. No power is being generated. Turnover is really low. Um, you can throw in double unders here and there, but you just have to be really careful where you throw them in. Um, but essentially the, what we say is if you're doing, if you're doing this in a mix or if you're training the lactic system in a mixed format, you start with a weightlifting movement, you go to a gymnastics movement, and then you end with a cyclical movement. So what that could look like is five touch and go hang power cleans at 70% of your one rep max. You drop that and then you perform 10 burpees as fast as you possibly can. Turnover is really high. You stop that and you perform, let's say it's a, a, a 15 calories as hard as possible on the assault bike. So you can kind of see how turnover is really, really fast. And at the end of that 15 calories, you're going to need a long amount of time to rest and recover to be able to repeat that work again for another three, five, 10 sets, whatever, whatever that session calls for. Um, so that would be what we would recommend. What we would not recommend is something like five muscle ups, 10 wall balls, 15 box jump step downs, right? Like you, you can kind of put it together like, yeah, turnover doesn't seem like it's really high. Uh, so rest won't be high. So if we were to do that, uh, um, muscle ups, wall balls, box jump, step down, uh, the rest would be low. And if the rest is low or short and they're doing it a bunch of times, what is that? That's aerobic work, right? That's not anaerobic work. So, um, Gosh, that was a very long qualifier, but I think that's important. Very important, yes. Um, so now moving to aerobic work and what we see inside of that, and you know what what those what those pieces should look like relative to exercise selection. 
people just have to be capable of doing the exercise that you prescribe in that aerobic setting for it to truly be aerobic. So imagine you have a client um, that is not a great squatter, right? And you're like, okay, this client is not a great squatter. Air squat's a little dodgy. Um, when I do the goblet squat in, in the A, Bs, and Cs in training, uh, there's a lot of like movement fixes and stuff like that. But I'm going to give them a 20-minute AMRAP, and I'm going to give them 15 goblet squats at 53 pounds right in the middle of that thing, and I want them to sustain that over those 20 minutes. You can't do that, right? Like that's not aerobic work. Now you're just putting like this dampening piece or you're putting like this uh, ATP CP piece right in the middle and you're like, okay, now do this really tough challenge. Um, And that's why exercise selection and aerobic work is really, really important because just like lactic work and aerobic work, if we're trying to improve aerobic capacity, that's again, training the metabolics. That's training aerobic work through metabolism, right? Turnover should still not be as high as lactic work, but turnover should still be pretty high. Um, We don't want, or we don't care to have super complex exercises in aerobic work. And I think a big mistake that a lot of people make is they want to put complex exercises in aerobic work. That is now not training the aerobic system. You're just doing a bunch of tasks over and over and over, and those tasks are really challenging. You're not able to sustain it, but you might feel really good, and it was a fun session. But walk away understanding that you most likely did not improve the aerobic system by doing those complex tasks that are inside of it. Carl speaking from experience here. (laughs) No, seriously, like reflecting on a couple workouts from the past weekend. uh, We had the, we had that big chipper with, I think you did 50 tota bar and I did 30 in there and 30 was way too many for me. And I think even you said like towards the end, 50 or maybe how you approached the 50, the 50, 50, it was just. Oh uh, yeah, the hundred. Yeah. yeah, yeah. hundred total. Yeah. hundred. Yeah. Uh, It it was a lot, right? In that setting. Uh, So just keeping that in mind. Um. 200 push-ups, maybe too much for aerobic work. Wasn't really aerobic by that point, right? Uh, yeah, I think um, we have to look at sub-intentions inside of aerobic work as well, which is which is really important, right? So we have different kinds of aerobic work. If the goal is to simply improve the aerobic system, we wouldn't have done a chipper, right? Like if, if we're like, we need to improve our aerobic capacity, we'd be doing like intervals cyclically. We'd be doing... You know, if we did want it to be in a mixed setting, it would be like so low skill movements that we could just like not even think twice about them. It's just like boom, boom, boom. If we're trying to improve the, our aerobic capacity, we just wanted to lay out different types of aerobic tasks, right? So like we said at the top of, of the conversation, um, you know, was that mostly aerobic, aerobic? Yes, because of the amount of time that we performed that work over, Um were there other challenges in there that made the ATP CP system have to come out and play a little bit? Absolutely. Right. So now we're getting like super nuanced and we're talking about different types of implementing, uh, other pieces of, of work inside of an aerobic setting. Uh, so we intentionally did that. Yeah. That is a good point. And I guess like for coaches reflecting on that in their own training, it's like, 
how did that feel? Was breathing like the limiter there uh, or was it the fact that I just couldn't do a push-up anymore mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and muscle endurance kicked in and became the limitation. So identifying those limiters is probably a good place to start. Yeah. It's also, you know, I, I know a lot of people wear like Apple watches and whoops and, and wearables and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, there's, there's a level of benefit that those things could have as well, right? Like, you know, look down at your watch or at your, you know, polar strap or whatever the heck you have on and look at your heart rate, right? If you see your heart rate at 180 beats per minute, you know, something's going on. You know that you're not performing easy aerobic work and it might just be because, you know, you've, you've put in a movement that you don't, that you can't execute perfectly, right? So imagine again, that person that is a uh, let's just call them a terrible squatter. And we put in those 15 goblet squats at 53 pounds. And that person is a strong person. But when it comes to, um, organizing their body around squatting, um, they have to focus more tension is really high because they have to intentionally like, you know, brace this and do this and push that. You know what I mean? So you look at heart rate and heart rate's going to do this because there's a lot of things that are happening for them to be able to accomplish that movement. It's not a movement that they've mastered because it's not a movement that they have not mastered. It shouldn't be in, in those aerobic pieces. Um, and then you look at it from the other standpoint of like when we intentionally did that, um, gosh, a couple of weeks ago, we did like an aerobic bottleneck piece where, you know, we did a bunch of easier aerobic work where it was like, do, 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 do. And then we stopped and it was like, you know, 10 or 15 power cleans at like, uh, 225, 155, one, some, something like that. Less than that. 145, 35. <laughs> I'm trying to give you some credit here. Come on. I think it was 145. Um, so yeah, we intentionally were like, okay, we want to get through this work. Um, if we were like, if we had heart rate monitors up and stuff like that, we'd have been like 150, 160. And then all this tension is happening on these power cleans. Turnover isn't high, but heart rate would have went to 170. 180 right because we have to use so much tension under fatigue and because we have to use that tension because we have to prepare our bodies to pull such a significant load to our shoulders relatively to our shoulders heart rate's going to do this so what would that tell us in that scenario that would say okay i'm like leaving this like nice aerobic setting and i'm now moving into something else right if we didn't intentionally want to do that that should tell us something like okay maybe we should take those out but because that's what we wanted to do, right? We wanted to like put this task right in the middle where it's like, okay, can we under fatigue move this thing and then now move back and like make the rest of this work sustainable? Um, some people, some people succeeded, some people failed. No, I'm joking. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Uh, but it's it's just an interesting way to kind of like uh, switch those up. And uh, if you're doing it intentionally, it doesn't make it right because you're doing it intentionally, but um, you you know it, right? And you noticed it. But if we if we laid that piece out for the intentions of improving aerobic capacity, that would just be a really dumb design. So going from here, and I guess like moving forward, when coaches are thinking about principles of energy system training, but they're experimenting with ideas like this, uh, using weights in, in an aerobic setting, putting in battery or like gymnastics density pieces, how should they feel about that? Because uh, they're they are leaving energy systems principles behind a little bit. Like, is it okay to turn your back on what the science says and and play with stuff, even if you're not exactly sure of what the dose is going to be? Um, I would just ask them why are they doing it? Are they 
doing it because they're truly experimenting? Are they doing it because they saw someone else doing it? Are they doing it because it's because they think it's going to make them better at something? You know, the answer to that, to those three questions would be different, you know, based on why they're doing it. Um, yeah, I wouldn't necessarily look at it as they're turning their back on the principles. I think they're, they're, they're leaning into the principles and because they understand the principles, that's why they're experimenting with it because something's in their head where they're like, I know this is the thing. Let me try this to see what happens. Um, and we can't, the, the, the tough thing is how do you measure, how do you measure what's right and what's wrong? Um, there's, you know, we could put a Pinoe on, right. And we could look at, you know, what our blood oxygen level is. We can look at respiration. We can look at fuel utilization. And then we can look at those things and say, okay, I, I was successful in accomplishing this task or not. Um, you know, I could, you know, use a moxie unit after every test and, 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 uh, and test what's happening underneath the hood. I can wear a, wear a band or, or a watch and look at heart rate. Like there's just so many things, but it's like, what is the measurement to say that that was good or that was bad? I think it's, I think it's, uh, I think it's good if coaches experiment a little bit, you know, uh, most times on, on themselves and, and not their clients that are paying them uh, good money to, to get them to a very particular goal. But, um, yeah, I would just ask why, why are you experimenting and, and what are you trying to get out of it? Yeah, I think that is a super important question uh, for coaches to ask themselves all the time in energy system training and, you know, beyond. And gosh, yeah, I shouldn't say turn turn their back on the principles, but there is uh, there is this like whole whole world that hasn't really been explored by science yet when it comes to energy systems and things we just don't understand. And I think that can be a little scary sometimes for coaches to feel like they're doing wrong by their clients or themselves as they start to experiment with them with with those sorts of things but like you said have a reason why you're doing it measure it in in whatever way you can and uh you know just have a way of saying yes this brought about the results i wanted or no it didn't and make sure you set yourself up to be able to arrive at that conclusion after playing playing around with it yeah the beautiful thing is that for most clients that aren't training for like performance benefits or anything like that, they don't need any of this stuff. <laughs> you know what I mean? They don't need it. You know, they just need to do intervals on the bike and on the rower and feel really good after the session and stuff like that. Right. Like I think we sometimes fall into a rut as coaches and we think that because we know something or we think we know something that we have to give that something to all of our clients. And that's just simply not the case. Um, most coaches out there that have any level of knowledge, um, you're probably, you're probably capable or just about capable to coach most people. Um, when we start to get into, you know, performance stuff and athletes and professional athletes and all that, yes. Okay. You have to, you have to know that extra 1% and implement that extra 1%. Um, you know, so, you know, if you're working with a, a power lifter that, you know, is, you know, going to, going to worlds and, you know, you need to eke out an extra, you know, five kilos. It's like, yeah, you need to know how to do that thing. Right. But for most people, they're just not in that, in that scenario. So it's okay. If you don't understand how to do that, you can start, you can still serve your clients really, really well. Well, guys, uh, thank you for joining us today. Anything to add there, Carl? No, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of things that we know and there's just as many things that we don't know. So just understanding those things that you don't know is, is really important and and being okay with uh, not experimenting with 
all of your people, right? But experimenting with yourself and proving some of the principles to yourself uh, uh, right and, and knowing what it feels like to take that wrong turn. So what Georgia proposed about, you know, going, you know, a 10-minute piece, going 2.30 as hard as you can and trying to finish that, go ahead, try it. Um, don't take my word for it that you might uh, fall on your face, but try it and let us know if, uh, if you succeed and that's, that's your new method of, uh, progressing your aerobic energy system. Yeah. And guys, if you did find this useful, uh, please leave us a comment and let us know. Uh, we'd love to have more chats about energy system training. Uh, so drop a comment and, uh, please make sure to subscribe. Thank you.